All good? Yes, it's great. Excellent. Thank you, Rolf. We're continuing on in our journey in Ephesians, looking at focusing on the one in 2021. And Ephesians has the um, series of being alive in Christ. That was the underlying message that Paul was trying to bring to the people in the church of Ephesus and to the other churches in that region. And certainly, that's what God wants us to hear today. Being alive in Christ, what does it mean? to focus on the one in 2021 and be alive in Christ. Well, this morning we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 2 rather, verses 11 to 22, the second part of Ephesians 2. And God wants to build a temple. He wants to build a temple. And we're going to look at what that means for us to be a part of God's temple. So I'm going to read along from Ephesians chapter 2, verses, whoa, that changed dramatically, Rolf. Sorry about that, I thought it was white on black. Uh, That's okay, we'll have to try it. Something's happened in bringing it across because it didn't have that background. It just had a light green background. That's okay, I'll read, people can listen. Paul has been writing this letter to the Ephesians and he has written verses 1 to 10 that we have and then he goes on and he says, verse 11... Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. So Paul was writing to the Gentiles, uh, non-Jews, predominantly in Ephesus and the audience of those receiving his letter. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Verse 15. He did that by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. No longer Jews and Gentiles, one, and peace as a result. Verse 16, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you, you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Building a temple, the place where God lives, chooses to live. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a church being built. Anybody been around when there's been a church being built? Some people were here probably when this church was being built. There was a church down on the Gold Coast at Helensvale 
where they built the church in a day. And it was, it was fantastic to see. Well, it wasn't quite a day because a couple of weeks before they put the concrete slab down. But in 24 hours, non-stop, they got permission to work through the night and notified all the um, neighbours. But in 24 hours, they built a Besser Block building in total. Now, admittedly, it wasn't painted and it wasn't finished off and the furnishings went inside. But it was amazing. I wasn't there, but I saw the video. And it was amazing to see this fast-track video Thank you, guys, of this church being built. Have you ever been to some amazing churches and cathedrals around the world? I've got some pictures to show you. These pictures are basically of some of the major temples or cathedrals around the world or monasteries where people have chosen to do something fantastic to honour their deity. Now, immediately this one, which is in... um, uh, Myanmar, it's the, it's this, you can say that first word, pagoda, uh, in Myanmar. They're honouring a god that we wouldn't honour. But they took thousands of hours and lots of dollars or whatever their currency is to build this to honour their god. They wanted to tell one another that their god meant something to them. This one here is a monastery in Bhutan. Again, it's in a, in, in, in a precarious place on the side of a mountain. But they did that so that it would be a place where they could connect with their deity and, uh, and to honour their God. Uh, they felt that they could do this, build this structure and allow them to honour their God. And I thought there was one more. It looks like it's missed it. The last one I had, it's dropped off the PowerPoint was the National Cathedral built in Washington, D.C. And I don't know if you've been to some of these uh, Anglican or Catholic cathedrals and seen some of the the, uh, uh, craftsmanship in their structures, their timber structures or their their brick and mortar structures and their finishings on these places and the stained glass windows. I love stained glass windows because most stained glass windows tell a story, don't they? And certainly in the time when great cathedrals were built... uh, the majority of the people were not literate people. Often only the priesthood were, were scholars. And so the people making the stained glass windows told the Bible stories in those stained glass windows and they set them in these cathedrals to honour God. God wants a temple built today. Not out of bricks and mortar, but out of us. God wants a temple built today. Not out of bricks and mortar, but out of us. And building a temple requires, oh, where are I? The master carpenter to bring together all the right building materials. So, he's got you here for a purpose. God's got you here for a purpose. To be built into his temple. He doesn't make mistakes with the materials. He chooses the right materials for the job. How do we know that? We know that because this passage tells us that we weren't once the right materials. At one time, we were separated from God, formerly called uncircumcised, the Bible says. We were outside of God's will, didn't know God personally. Whenever you read a passage in the scriptures which starts with therefore, you really need to look at what it's there for. So the previous passage last week, we saw that 
the whole process of the walking dead, as it were, those outside of faith, those outside of God, became truly alive. So Paul in his letter says, because of that, or therefore, this is the reason. Therefore, this is the reason. In this passage, we're reminded what sort of people we were. Some of us didn't grow up in Christian families. Some of us lived fairly wild lives. Some of us lived lives with no concept of God at all. We probably used Jesus as a swear word rather than a word to honour God with. Paul's writing about us as well as the people there that, that were called the Gentiles. He's, say, he's not saying it's just a good idea to think about these things. He's saying we need to remem- remember. We need to remember what God has brought us from. And for the Gentiles, it was being as far from God as you could get because you weren't a Jew. He wants them to remember what God has done. For the Gentiles, they knew that the God of the Jews was a very exclusive God. He, they thought that he just wanted his people. And yet, if they had have read the Abrahamic blessing back in, in Genesis, they would have said that Abraham was to be blessed so that the people of God might be a blessing to the whole world. So even though God came to the Jews, he had a plan for the whole world. Jews had a uh, uh, stuffiness about Gentiles to the point where they uh, were not even to enter a Gentile's house because it would make them dirty, they felt, in God's sight. And they were unclean before God and they had to go through an elaborate process of washing themselves before they would be acceptable to God themselves. The Jews, the Hebrews, worshipped Yahweh, the one true God. The Gentiles worshipped multi-gods and the Jews despised them. So Paul, in this passage, just in this first verse of, 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 uh, of verse 11, was saying this is what we used to be like. This is what you used to be like. But this is what it's now like. And I think it's good for us to remember that we were separated from God. But also... It helps us to give a good perspective, a right perspective on those around us who are not yet followers of Jesus, not yet believers. And I think sometimes Christians take a, a very strong approach to non-Christian actions and ideas in people around about us, dare I say a judgmental approach, without realising that at some stage in our lives we could have easily ended up like that person that we're criticising. God's grace and his mercy is available to all. We might be judging someone who is to be a brother or a sister in Christ according to God's plan. So we have to be careful. It's good to be reminded us that one time we were separated from Christ. One time we were like the Gentiles. One time our disobedience, our sin, our lack of knowledge of God had separated us from knowing God. We weren't, we didn't have any hope. We didn't have any purpose in life. I wonder if thinking about our past keeps us grounded now. How difficult is it, is it to be in a situation where you're not liked by another group of people? I remember when I was pastoring on Magnetic Island, we were there for 
four years in total. And every year the same thing happened. There'd be this influx of new residents on Magnetic Island every year. And that was, that was good. It kept a variety in the place. But not long after they got there, you'd hear these new people saying, I reckon the council should put a number, a, a limited number of people who could live on the island uh, to stop any more people coming. And someone would go to them and say, um, how long have you lived here for? Oh, 12 months. They'd already made up their mind that, that they didn't want any more people on the island. And sometimes if we're careful, if we're not careful, we will be judgmental of others rather than seeing people as, as God sees them. If we see ourselves as God saw us before our decision to follow Jesus, then it'll make us more, uh, compassionate towards those who are not yet followers of Jesus. But we do it all the time, don't we, in our community? We pick sides. It could be politics. It could be sport. It could be um, uh, I'm, I'm a part of the working class or I'm a part of the management class or whatever. Those things happen. We forget that God is bigger than that. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 20, there's a story about the uh, parable of the workers in the vineyard. And so the manager needs some more workers or the owner needs some more workers. So he goes to the um, courtyard in the, in, the, in, the, in the town and offers people a, a, a day's salary for a day's wages. So he gets some workers. And then he realizes he needs some more. So he goes and offers these, a few hours later, he goes and offers some more people the same amount for the rest of the day's work. And then later on in the day, he needs more workers. So he goes and gets some more people a day's pay for the remainder of the day's work. And the people who started at the beginning of the day said, that's not fair. That's not fair. We had to work eight hours, or whatever it was, to get this much, and those people only worked two hours. And Jesus told the story to say it was the master or the owner's prerogative to invite those people to work for that amount. I wonder, when we see somebody who's come to faith in Jesus, but we've known their lifestyle from the past, are we judgmental and say, how can that person really come be a Christian? Look at what they used to be like. Yet we know, I hope we, we know personally, God's grace and mercy has allowed them to come to faith in Christ just as he's allowed us to come to faith in Christ, no matter what our backgrounds have been. The master carpenter, the master builder, chooses the materials that he wants to build his temple out of. One of the things that this passage reminds us is that Jesus makes our relationship to God and to others a reality. At one time, many of us did not know God, did not honour God at all. And yet through Jesus dying on the cross, through us believing in Jesus, we've been welcomed into God's family. And so we've been brought near to God because of Jesus, the verses say. It doesn't say, now in Christ Jesus or any other higher being you choose to follow, you who were once far away. No, it says in Christ. It doesn't say now because you're a nice person who were once far away, you've been brought together, brought near. No, it's totally through Jesus. Jesus in John's Gospel is recorded as saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. 
There's no other saviour, no other way to God. We know that to be true. So Paul is saying, remember what it was like. Remember when you didn't know God, but now you've known Jesus. You've believed in Jesus and you're part of God's family. I wonder if we sometimes think, how can that person be a Christian because we're quite narrow-minded? We're the ones that set the boundaries. We're the ones that, that choose the standards. And yet God will blow that away sometimes. And he'll bring the most uh, unusual people to himself. And they are actually our brothers or sisters in Christ. When we are brought near, we are brought near through the blood of Jesus, the Bible tells us. It's the blood of Jesus that brings us close to him. And I'm just getting this going again. Where are we? Verse 13 says, but now you've been brought through the blood of Christ. And Romans 5, verse 9, Paul echoes that. He says, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Jesus is the one that's made peace with God possible for anyone, no matter what their background is. When they place their faith in him as Lord and Saviour, they'll be accepted by him into his family. And Jesus can start to build them into his temple. So Jesus makes closeness with God possible. He also makes closeness with others a reality. How does he do that? Because he's broken down the religious barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles. He did that by showing them that his purpose was bigger than what they imagined it was. We can't really understand how hostile the relationship was between the Jews and the Gentiles. Someone has said it was a class warfare on steroids. That's how much they despised one another. Race warfare that dripped with hatred is another way of describing it. I've tried to think of an illustration, and this story, which I've modified because I've heard it given another context, would probably, we would probably identify with it uh, in this hostility. I'm not sure if you're a sports fan or not, but uh, you might be able to identify with this. On the first day of uh, grade one at school, a teacher explains to her class a bit of her background, and then one of the things she says is, I'm a Cowboys fan. She asks her students to raise their hands if they're Cowboys fans too. And wanting to impress their teacher, all of them put their hands up except for one little girl. And the teacher looks at the little girl with surprise and says, Janie, why didn't you raise your hand? Because I'm not a Cowboys fan, she replied. The teacher still shocked us and asked, well, if you're not a Cowboys fan, then who are you a fan of? I'm a Broncos fan and proud of it, she says. I know some people like that. They're southerners. Well, well, the teacher was um, a little bit annoyed that she didn't have a class full of Cowboys fans. And, and she said this, why are you a, Cowboy, a Broncos fan? And Janie said, well, my mum's a Broncos fan and my dad's a Broncos fan, so I'm a Broncos fan too. And the teacher said, well, that's no reason for you to be a Broncos fan. You don't have to be just like your parents all the time. What if your mum were a bit silly and your dad were a bit of an airhead? What would you be then? She smiled and said, I'd be a Cowboys fan. 
pretty bold for a first grader. But if you can multiply that many, many times, you'd understand the difference between Jews and Gentiles. There's this hatred there. And for them to be in the same place, worshipping the same God, was a miracle. Jesus was the only one that made peace with God possible. And he did that through his shed blood on the cross for all mankind. doesn't matter where you come from, what you've believed in the past. When he is the focus, then he is the one that puts to death that, that enmity, that, that hatred that the Bible talks about. The dividing wall of hostility is gone. What does verse 15 say? Are we there? Verse 14. By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. That's what Jesus' plan was. So that all mankind, no matter what their background, no matter what their lifestyle, through him could, could have an intimate relationship with God. I trust we know that's true. In the people that we fellowship with, in the people that we know who are believers in Jesus from other places, I trust that's true. Paul, it's a common theme of Paul and in Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, he says this in chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Does that give you a sense of belonging? That you belong to the family of God? What Paul's trying to get us to do here in his letter is make us think about being a part of the temple of God where God dwells amongst his people. Verse 17 and 18 tell us, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Everyone can have access to the Father by one spirit, by that spirit of unity in Christ. So God has allowed us to come to know him personally. He's allowed us to relate to one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God. So what should the church look like? What should the the temple of God look like? And that's the next part of this uh, passage. We, the church, are the perfect holy temple in the Lord. We are all part of God's household, we're told. And Paul's imagery, imagery here of the fellow believers in Christ being being a part of the one body of Christ, the church. And he uses this image in lots of different letters. Certainly he uses it again in Galatians. And uh, there we are, Ephesians. It's interesting. The Galatians passage didn't come up. This is what it says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So our aim should be to do good to one another. There we are. Got it. And the next one, 1 Timothy chapter 3. In his letter to Timothy, Paul says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So as a church, we are to be a household. We are to be members of that household. We are to work at allowing Jesus to remove any barriers in our relationships with one another. No matter what, uh, what accent you have in your speech, no matter what colour your skin is, no matter whether you uh, support the Cowboys or the Broncos, no matter whether you're a Holden fan or a Ford fan or whatever, these things are not to be barriers because the one that breaks down any barriers is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be a, a supportive network, a supportive spiritual network of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a place in God's plan. That's what Paul's saying. And being the household of God gives us access to the farmer. How does a builder build? Usually they use the right materials for the right part of the job. The good ones do anyhow. And a part of that is having the right foundation. And here in verses uh, 20, 19 to 20, we're told that we're constructed on a firm foundation of truth. Paul refers to that foundation. He says, God just doesn't throw together the church with no direction, no instructions, no guide for the future. He gives us that firm foundation. And that foundation is faith in Jesus alone, trust in the word of God. I've had people that I've had discussions with say, uh, I believe that there's many ways to heaven. And that we should be more tolerant of the Muslims or more tolerant of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I have to say, sorry, because of the foundational beliefs and the foundational values that I know to be true, that won't work for me. We have to do it with compassion. We have to do it with disagreeing with, with courtesy. But we have to say that these things are not true according to what I believe. And I've had to say that to people. Paul says that the foundation in the word and the foundation is, our foundation is in the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. And certainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, chapter 3, verse 11, he makes that point out that no, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that was the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus is that foundation. All the prophets pointed to him. All the New Testament teaching confirms that he is that foundation. And that biblical teaching is what holds us together. So we can disagree with other uh, perspectives, but we have to make sure that our perspective is what the Bible says. Verse 20, 21. It says there, In him the whole building is joined together. And rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. Jesus is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone, verse uh, 20 says. And you and I have heard that story before. The cornerstone is part of the foundations. So the foundation is square, the wall is square, and the rest of the building can be square because of that cornerstone. He is the foundation. I wonder if some of the other people that we talk to around the uh, countryside don't have Jesus as a foundation or that cornerstone. They can't be true to what God wants them to be. 
And this church, this temple is not made out of brick and mortar, is it? It's made out of people. Paul doesn't mention stones specifically in this text, but in other scriptures that are written, we're called the living stones. Certainly Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I wonder, do you see yourself as a part of the temple that God chooses to live in here? Do you have that firm foundation that Jesus is the cornerstone in your life? If I was to take a picture of our church today, where are we? Oh, goodness me. There we are. Is that a picture of our church? No. It's a picture of the church building. This is a picture of our church. Plus more, because not everybody's in the directory. The church is people. People leading us in worship. People serving others in hospitality. People running small groups, teaching CRI, doing Kids for Christ, working with youth, volunteering in the community. That's the temple of God. That's the church. That's the picture that God would be taking of his church, the people who are the materials of the temple of God. My prayer today, as we live here, is that we will see ourselves as integral parts of God's temple, of his building. He's chosen us for a purpose. My hope is that when people see the church in action, not just amongst ourselves, but in the community, they'll say, wow, that's amazing. There's something different about those people. I pray that we will listen to what Paul's writing in Ephesians. Marvel at where we've come from, not knowing Jesus, but being built into his temple with a purpose that God might be active in his temple. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have a great plan for your church, that it will be the dwelling place of God where you, you reside by your Spirit's presence, empowering each one of us to do what you want us to do as that material that you've built your temple out of. Father, I pray that if we're unsure of what that is, that you might open our eyes, give us some guidance, show us clearly how we should serve you. Father, I pray that as the church is active in our communities where we live, people will say there's something different about those people. They love God. They believe in Jesus. Father, I pray that, that your name will be honoured through all the things that we choose to do in your service. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, if you're not sure what part of the building or the temple of God you are, these mission and ministry invitation forms could be part of the answer. Um, if there's anything that grabs your attention, come and speak to Pastor Jeff and I. We'd love to encourage you to be that a part of that integral part of God's temple and what he chooses to do. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and, and parents, you'll be able to uh, go and pick up your children from Kids for Christ as we sing this last song.